What is the perfect story? We may never know, but we'll never stop trying to find out. On this special episode of The Midnight Myth, we're matching stories up to storytellers. Your favorite iconic directors meet the most unexpected scripts. It's the Boomerangarang. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. Welcome back to the Midnight Myth, everybody's favorite boomerangarang! Damn. What? Yes. So guys, we're back this week. We're going to do another boomerangarang game-ified podcast. So if you've listened to us before, you know the deal. The boomerangarang is where Laurel and I pit our wits against each other, trying to come up with the cleverest, the funniest, the zaniest scenarios for characters and things and we pit them against each other in a battle of wits. The idea is to A, have fun and laugh and be silly and weird, and B, prove to the world how amazing Derek is at coming up with fantastic arguments. And how how much he almost stands up to Laurel's just overpowering uh, ability to debate. So... This boomerangarang is going to be a little different. I'm not dignifying that with the response. Oh, okay. It's going to be a little different. We're changing the formula slightly. So, guys, let us know if you like it. In front of me are two literal hats. Physical hats. In one hat, there are a list of 12 different directors of major cinema that Laurel and I have decided not every director is alive, but, you know, we'll, we'll play with that. Yeah, we're pretending they're all alive and all taking scripts at the moment. But hat one is directors. We will each draw a director from the director hat. Hat two are script ideas, and we'll be drawing the script idea. The idea of the boomerangarang is that we will each have to pitch our director to go ahead and green light the idea. So whoever pitches it more successfully to their director wins the round. Yeah, and while we worked on the list of directors together, the uh, list of uh, scenarios or the list of script ideas and treatments, we came up with independently. So some of these will be surprises to us. So the idea is we're acting as in we are in the industry and we are trying to convince this director to take up our script. Guys, you will be able to determine who was more successful, more persuasive, and better at convincing their director to pick up the script by going to our Twitter at The Midnight Myth and casting a vote for your boomerangarang. And guys, it's going to be easy. It's going to be me every round. Okay. Okay. While you're at it, make sure you follow us on Twitter. There's a lot of fun content that we're putting up there every day. Uh, also check us out on Facebook and on Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast. And while you're at it, head over to our website, www.midnightmyth.com for extra content, blogs, 
archives of our older episodes and everything you could possibly want Midnight Myth style. Uh, in the meantime, if you haven't yet, make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app and leave us a rating or a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, because it really helps us reach a wider audience. And uh, let us know what you think of our different format here for the Boomerangarang. Does yeah, it work? Please. Does it not work? What Could there be something we do better? And uh, we love you, listeners. So without further ado, love you. let's go into the game. So okay. let us, Laurel, you can go ahead and go first, and you can draw your director. What director do you have? I have the man himself, Steven Spielberg. Wow, you have Steven Spielberg. I have Patty Jenkins. Damn. So Spiel, Steven Spielberg's a household name. Patty Jenkins came to fame, uh, well, she's made a lot of great movies, but most recently she did Wonder Woman. Yeah, yeah. She's also well known for making Monster back in the early 2000s. Absolutely. So, Laurel, would you like to pick the script and yes. that we'll be pitching? And uh, since you're picking the script... I'll also say, would you like to pitch first or second? You get you get to your your choice. I'm going to decide once I see it. Oh no 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 no. no. Um, I'll pitch. I'll pitch first. Okay. What is the script idea? A '90s buddy cop comedy with police brutality, where one cop is a sloth and the other is a lizard. Uh, okay. I think Derek wrote this one, <laughs> and I love it. And it reminds me a little bit of Zootopia, um, except for the police brutality part. That's pretty heavy. Well, you can't have a 90s buddy cop movie without the cops really crossing the line and being brutal to the criminals. Absolutely. So, yeah, so this is interesting. This is a really interesting script to pitch. But Steven, Steven, Mr. Spielberg, walk with me a little bit here. You are known as... uh, just an iconic film director who rose to prominence in the 1980s with such films as E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And you've continued to make really powerful movies up until today, such as The Post. Uh, Right? He made The Post? Yes? Correct? And Schindler's List. And uh, Yes? I don't know. If there's one thing I can say about you, Mr. Spielberg, it's that... You have an uncanny ability to uh, speak to different audiences and to sort of translate these seemingly um, obtuse or esoteric experiences, like making a you know an alien mountain out of mashed potatoes, or like uh, you know harboring an extraterrestrial in your closet, or you know being a man who saves dozens of lives during the Holocaust, these things that some people feel like they can't relate to and and shrink them down and make them things that we can relate to. Uh, And I've got this script uh, that takes place in the 90s, but it's the early 90s. So it does have that like signature, like 80s on the threshold of 90s flavor, uh, the nostalgia that you're so well known for, uh, that you played heavily on in Ready Player One, but I think you could leverage even better in this movie. Um, but it sort of nimbly walks that line of, you know, the buddy cop movie, the sort of children's uh, feel of having a sloth and a lizard be friends and how do they get to know each other. You also get to play with great visual effects like you did in E.T. Um, with the sloth. Um, but then it straddles the line of this, like, humorous comedy into a really dark place that speaks to relevance to our times, which is police brutality 
and uh, you know the the violence that our our police system is exerting on the streets today. And Mr. Spielberg, I don't think there's anybody else in the world who would be better equipped to walk that line than you, where you can speak to a, a wide audience and speak to a really powerful, really intense, and really heavy subject, but with levity. And I would love to see your touch on this, uh, you know, 90s buddy cop movie. Patty Jenkins, you did such a good job in Wonder Woman bringing and elevating the first major studio release with a female superhero. You also did an amazing job in Monster telling a gritty, realistic tale of a sociopathic serial killer who also all she ever wanted was love. Both of these can be read as A, period pieces, and B, in the experience of the female raging against the world in the danger, excitement, the hope, the beauty, the death, and the bile. But can you transcend that, Patty Jenkins? I'd like to ask you something. Can you do something completely new and never done? We've seen Lethal Weapon. We've seen the 90s buddy cop. But have we ever addressed the underlining animal instinct behind cop dramas in the way that we have and how they have affected the rest of the world? One cop is a lizard, representing the reptilian nature of the police force. The other, a sloth, representing the slothingness of bureaucracy. Patty Jenkins, these are not metaphors. These are literal lizards and sloths. How would they interact? Yes, at first the audience would laugh until the first time the sloth takes a perpetrator and beats them mercilessly. Patty Jenkins, can you do what Spike Lee did? Can you transcend what you had thought that you were and become the first ever director for the sloth lizard 90s buddy cop comedy involving police brutality. <laughs> this was awesome. Okay. All right. That's that my argument. Totally crazy. I totally love it. Totally wacky. <laughs> I love it. Shall we get our next directors? Yeah. Again, guys, go to our Twitter at the Midnight Myth. Yeah. Tell both. us who is better. I, uh, I think we both did a good job in round one. So what director do you have? I have Stanley Kubrick. I have David Lynch. Oh, my God. Can we switch? No. The hat, <laughs> the hat rules all. We're not allowed wow, to switch. What an interesting pairing because, oh, wow. Yeah. Although more. they're very different directors, I feel like they might have a similar take on certain scripts. Interesting. This is true. This will All be right. interesting. So the script idea, I will pull it since you pulled the last one, and I guess I'll go first. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. Two college kids on the acid trip that changes God their damn lives. It. God damn it. We do have the best we directors, have the best directors for, this. for this, except maybe one other person that I buried deep in the pile. Yes. So I will go first. Mr. Lynch, you are known for the surreal and the unusual. You are also known for redefining the genre while amplifying the basic tenements of what make that genre great. Everybody loves soap operas. Everybody loves horror. Everybody loves Twin Peaks. I come to you with an idea, a new idea, but is also the same idea, playing with the similarity and the unusualness that you are so fond of. Imagine two college kids 
Kids that had met, they get to school, they're having a good time, they go to their first party in college, and they encounter a frat boy named Drabble. Drabble speaks in tongues and doesn't know how to articulate ideas. When they look at them, Drabble then holds out two sheets of acid in which they put on their tongues, and thus the trip begins. The question will be, is this trip purely a infused biochemical experience? Have they tapped into an underlining ancient evil that the college is known for? Will these questions be answered at any point in this script at all? Fuck no. Not a single question will be answered. And at the end, the way it ends, Mr. Lynch, is at the end of the acid trip, which goes on for 12 fucking weeks. They are failed out of college. The two college kids are looking at each other. One's actually a turtle. And the other one, they look at each other and they say, what did we learn? End scene. Oh my God. Oh my God. That was incredible. That was absolutely amazing. Wow. Your turn. Wow. 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 Um, I want to start with a little bit of a framing device because in order to pitch this script to Stanley Kubrick or to pitch any script to Stanley Kubrick, I do think that I would need to do Inception uh, because this is a director who probably would not make something that you put in front of him. He would have to have thought of it himself. So I would start by doing Inception. So by like your first part of these of, of, of it this argument is, is I, to break into his mind I, and plant it as if it's your own. Break into his mind and plant it as if it's. I own. cede this argument to you immediately. So that's my first step. And you then, just won. So we're the acid trip that changes their lives. Uh, um, yes, the two college kids on an acid trip that changes their lives. So after I've done Inception, uh, Mr. Kubrick, I remember once that you told me a story about when you were in college and how you once did hallucinogenic drugs and it took you on an odyssey through time and space, maybe even to the year 2001. Low blow. Low blow. It took you from Earth when man was first learning to use tools to the planet Jupiter through a black hole and beyond. It took you to the English countryside during the Regency in the pastoral beauty of merry old England where you almost felt like you were a part of a painting. It took you all the way through to an alternate future where all you could drink was milk. You were just like, I can't get enough milk. Give me some more milk. And you were feeling so sexually charged with violence that all you wanted to do was sing show tunes and Beethoven and beat people up. It really changed me when you told me that story, Mr. Kubrick, and I think you should make a movie about it. All right. So you just implanted <laughs> all of his movies? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> all right. Let us move to our new directors. And who do you have? Quentin Tarantino. Nice. Jordan motherfucking oh, Peele. Damn. Okay. Stinky Lisa. All right. So pick the scenario, Laurel. I think it's your turn. Here we go. And you get to go first. What do we have? 
an adaptation of Stephen King's The Dark Tower. Uh, this was something that I wrote down, and I did it for a couple of reasons. And one of them is just to plug the fact that we do have a Dark Tower mini podcast series going on right now with Derek and our guest host, Steve. It's called The Wheel of Ka. I would be um, a remiss if I did not plug it right here. Uh, it is fantastic. We just published the second episode. They are making their way one book at a time through Stephen King's magnum fantasy opus, The Dark Tower, and analyzing it one book at a time. We're putting out monthly episodes. If you want to read along, go to bit.ly slash wheel of ka, or just go to our website, www.midnightmyth.com for more information there. There may be another script very similar to this Oh, motherfucker. I knew it. I knew we were going to do that. Maybe. It's not the same, but there may be something similar. I knew we were going to do that. But the other reason that I put this in there is because there was, of course, an adaptation of Stephen King's The Dark Tower that came out in 2017 that was hot garbage. And I would love to see another director do it better. Oh, ouch. That's harsh. I was not good. Okay. Um... But go ahead, Tarantino. If you're not familiar with The Dark Tower, it sort of hinges all of Stephen King's uh, major stories together in this multiverse. And what you really need to know about it is that the main character is known as the gunslinger. His name is Roland, and he pretty much goes through multiverses shooting things. That's the basic, basic, basic. On, on the quest for the tower. On the quest for the Dark Tower. Um, so, Mr. Tarantino. Mr. Director of Reservoir Dogs, of Grindhouse, of fucking Pulp Fiction, of so many of the films that like absolutely changed my life and the course of my life, Mr. Tarantino, I, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, you have to make The Dark Tower. Picture this. It is a wasteland, but it's like a Western. And you've got a character who has guns and like his fingers move with like a mind of their own. And like violence is his only language, Mr. Tarantino. But he also has really good language too. Like he can talk really, really well for a really long time. And he like bursts into saloons and he like takes women whenever he wants. And he like shoots up entire towns. But then like he and the bad guy have like really amazing rhetoric. Like you would just freaking kill it, man. You would fucking kill it. It would be awesome. Is that your your pitch? Yes. I did it in Tarantino-esque language. You missed a very big in. I I hate to say it. What? 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 Quentin Tarantino, he writes his movies in a multiverse. Yes, that's true. Anyway. Or a shared universe, yeah. Mr. Peel, I am so excited uh, that you have seen the excitement and the enthusiasm of Get Out. Your new movie is coming out. And we all want to see it. I think it's called Us. Us, yes. And it looks really, really amazing. You're clearly adept at horror. And you're clearly adept at comedy. In fact, you're very intertextual. And every once in a while, you even get a little metatextual. I have an idea for a project, and it's big. It's bigger than big. It's eight movies big. And this is going to be embracing the oddness, the unusualness of a world that has moved on. This is a world in which there is no society, there 
is no social structures. There's mutants. There's magic. There's old machines with radar dishes on their heads that are gigantic cyborg bears. I mean, let's go fucking in and let's really embrace both your unusual and horror skills. I want you to adapt the Dark Tower. However, I want you to adapt it in all of its strangeness, all of its unusualness. I want to see gigantic lobsters ripping the flesh off of a gunslinger. And also, though, I don't want you to feel limited. I want you to feel completely free. You have a world where every single story points to one nexus of the entire universe, and every imaginable narrative that you have ever thought or anyone has ever thought is equally true and equally not true at the same time. I want you to play in this paradox. I want you to make your thematic Twilight Zone esque. I was waiting for that. I was dark tower. <laughs> Can you do this, Mister Peel? If you want it, if you want to do a portion, that's funny. Make it funny. You want to make it really fucking scary, like a baby who can transform into a spider and eats human flesh? Go for it. I would actually, honestly, fucking love to see Jordan Peele's The Dark Tower. But I would love Tarantino to see... Tarantino would be great at it, yeah, too. Yeah, oh my God. Tarantino would be just, like, perfect for it. But I would love to see Jordan Peele's anything. Like, I would be like, give him this script for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and see what happens. I mean, Jordan Peele is like... We're watching the like the the new Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, like one in, of the, the most way that, visionary like, directors like, of our time. Yeah, yeah. Undefinable, so awesome. Like everyone struggles to compare them with someone. There's no comparison. It's just Jordan fucking Peele. Yeah. Anyway, this just became a love letter to Jordan Peele. Yes. Sponsor Moving our on. Podcast. So let's get our new directors here. I have pulled drum roll. Oh yes, Peter fucking Jackson. Martin. Fucking Scorsese. Ooh, I'm Jesus. getting some heavy hitters in here. These are very different directors. Yeah. Uh, is it? It's my turn to pull the script idea? Yes. All right. So I'm pulling the script idea. And when Rambo meets Bambi. When Rambo meets Bambi. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What a strange idea, man. <laughs> very weird idea. So when Rambo meets Bambi. Mr. Jackson, it's been a while since you've been really out there in the main public space. You did Lord of the Rings and everyone loved it. We made a ton of money on The Hobbit, but nobody loved it. Yeah, no. You did that other one movie that no one really, really remembers. It was okay. It was very colorful. We need to reinvent Peter Jackson. We need to get you out there and we need to make sure everyone knows that you can still produce humongous blockbuster caliber movies and we have the script to do it i want you to picture this gi commando lost on the battlefield carnage all around bad guys are propping up and attacking the gi commando who takes them down with precision that can only be described as poetic violence as a form of high art the music is swirling, it is slow motion, and amidst it all, this G.I. sees a forest to the side with a little deer that runs away. In the midst of all of this chaos and all of this destruction, what does this G.I. do? He drops his gun and runs into the forest. What is this forest that the G.I. is in? 
Where's this forest ever been in his entire life? Is it magical? Is it not magical? Is this gritty realism? Is this surrealism? Lots of close-ups to the GI's face as he encounters a rabbit who can make music with his paw called Thumper, who thumps, thumps, thumps. And then Rambo, the GI, meets Bambi. They become the best of friends. But the movie needs to go dark. And we know, Peter Jackson, you know how to make it go dark until the enemy burns the forest and kills Bambi's mother. And this torment and in this pain, what do Bambi and Rambo need to do? He needs to pick up his arms. He and Bambi train and become vengeful killers that will avenge the fall of the forest when Rambo meets Bambi. Amazing. Amazing. I, yeah, I guess I could see Peter Jackson doing that. Um, but meanwhile, Mr. Scorsese, you changed the game with Goodfellas. You redefined what mob movies were. You finally got your Oscar in The Departed. And between those two movies was a lifetime of incredible work and incredible range. You made a movie about the Dalai Lama. You, the king of mob movies, made a movie about the Dalai Lama. And it was amazing. Is there anything that you can't do? What I think you've proven time and again is your ability to uh, provide an in-depth character study that can be at times tongue-in-cheek, can be in times very self-referential, but is always very truthful to the character and shows untapped potential of the actor that you're working with. Have you ever worked with uh, Sylvester Stallone? Because I think you'd be surprised to see how much untapped potential this guy has. I think if you brought him in, if you worked with him, you'd be able to unlock things that we have never seen from Sly. And we have seen him starting to crack these with the Rocky sequels. Obviously, you know, the guy's got some raw talent, but I think working with a, a sheer genius like you would help to unlock some of that. Now, the story that I'm going to pitch to you today might seem a little silly when I first tell you the title, because it's Rambo versus Bambi. And I know... Rambo meets Bambi. That's the pitch. This is the title. Oh, I'm telling you the title is oh, Rambo oh, pardon versus me, Bambi. Pardon me. And, um, I, you know, I, I know that might make you giggle a little bit, but Goodfellas made me giggle a little bit. Even the title made me giggle a little bit. And at the end of the day, this is a story about a man who does his best in the jungle, in the forest. A man who can fight a man who is not afraid to draw first blood, and a man who shoots a deer and has no idea when he shoots that deer that that deer was someone's mother. This is the story I'm pitching you today. It's the other side of the story. When we all watched Bambi back when we were kids, we just heard a gunshot and we knew what happened. But you're going to show us what happened, and you're going to show us what happens to the man who realizes that he took someone's mother away. And the in-depth character study that comes from a seasoned director and a seasoned actor 
learning to work through the, uh, the pressures that have been put on them by the identity of who they used to be. Rambo isn't who he used to be. Once he takes that life away, it's going to start to crack at him from the inside out. And I think you're the director to absolutely show us that on screen. And I think that at the end of the day, this is a heartwarming story about a man finding redemption after he realizes that his whole life has been built on violence. Sidebar, Boomerang <laughs> and the Boomerang. Favorite Scorsese movie not called Goodfellas? Um, I mean, I, so I'm not that big of a Scorsese f- fan. Oh, okay. Well, you could have just said Gangs of New York. <laughs> uh, I literally forgot that that movie existed just now. What? Gangs I'm of so New York's sorry. amazing. I'm pick, so sorry. Pick your next director. Oh, my God. I mean, I like, I like Scorsese. I'm not saying anything against him. All right. So I have Terrence Malick. <laughs> so Terrence Malick is not a household name. He did Tree of Life and other surrealistic he did things. The Thin Red Line. The Thin Red yeah. Line. He makes really long, really deep really weird movie really cerebral and surreal amazing director um and a lot of people might call him pretentious but i love everything he does i got the exact opposite of him i got judd apatow (laughs) oh what a good pairing oh i love it uh whose turn is it for the pitch yours (laughs) all right so terrence malick versus judd apatow so one of the most surrealistic, pretentious directors versus one of the funniest. All right, here's the pitch. The inspiring story of Donald J. Trump for your consideration. That's fucking evil. Yeah. You wrote that. I me. sure did. The feel good movie of the year. Uh, it's my turn to go first. Okay. I can't believe you wrote that. I can't believe I wrote it either. I didn't like reading it. Oh boy. Um, but I'm excited to pitch it to Judd Apatow actually, because I think in his hands, it's going to be an interesting story. Um, so, 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 so hear me out, Mr. Apatow. Seth Rogen is Donald Trump. Like from, childhood to adulthood we have seth rogan play donald trump even as a little kid and track him through to the presidency it'll be uh like a totally ridiculous completely insane story of how a a total fuck up who inherited a million dollars oh i'm sorry a small loan of a million dollars created a worldwide brand ran himself into the ground and then became the president of the United States. It'll be so funny that it's actually uh, devastating and no one will know if it's satire or not. And North Korea will nuke us because of it. I think if anyone is, is ready to take this on, it's you, Mr. Judd Apatow. Okay. What's the exact thing again? I got a pitch to Terrence Malick. Oh my God. The inspiring story of Donald J. Trump for your consideration. The movie opens with several dinosaurs. Dinosaurs that are running through a plane. Dinosaurs that are chasing each other. Oh my God. But we see a sort of stasis homeostasis of dinosaurs, a precocious balance that's portrayed visually through while one dinosaur dies, another dinosaur is born. 
we get the sense that there's a harmony. And then in the harmony comes the biggest, baddest dinosaur ever throwing it out of rat whack. Then we see a meteorite hit and all of the dinosaurs die, 100%. We flash forward now many thousands and thousands of years and we see a bunch of humans in rubble, in wreckage, sitting there scraping for food, but kind of getting along together. And you see a sort of harmony. They're sort of figuring it out. We see some semblance of society. We're not sure where this is in the, the, the timeline of human events, but it seems well after our own. And then in comes a monster truck with a human who then just takes and takes and takes and takes for everyone until everyone's dead. And then we go back to our time and we do the inspired story of Donald Trump, but we aren't inspired by his actions or words or deeds or inspired because it is him who brought out the end of all human civilization. It is a cautionary tale of greed, excess, and existential narcissism and what happens when people willfully give their freedom in the hope that one man can punish the other for your consideration, then burn it. Holy shit. That was incredible. I'm very impressed with your work just now. Thank you. I appreciate that. that <laughs> I did. I felt like a Terrence Malick kind of movie. Yeah, that totally it? worked, especially yeah. the dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, you have to have dinosaurs. I have Sophia Coppola. And I have Michael Bay. And the last one, and I know which one this is because oh, I wrote Lord. it. Oh, no. Post-apocalyptic, time-traveling <laughs> Western with Lord of the Rings fantasy elements and interdimensional portals, vampires, and people with animal heads. You might say. It's the Dark it's Tower. It's the Dark Tower. <laughs> so I did that also to kind of inspire Dark Tower discussion. Oh. But there are specific elements that we need to hear here. Hear here is not a good way to say that. Post-apocalyptic, time-traveling, Western with Lord of the Ring fantasy elements, interdimensional portals, vampires, and people with animal heads. Sofia Coppola, this movie opens up with a human being with a fish head looking at you. And then that human being with a fish head is looking at a human being with a deer head who's looking at a cowboy. And they look at each other for the first 45 minutes of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And they're just looking at each other. Then one jumps into a portal into another dimension where they're hanging out with a bunch of elves and are walking on a quest. The quest is for a cup. And they walk for the next 45 minutes of the movie. After they're done with that, they jump into another portal to another time in which they see the fallout of nuclear waste and get into a horrific gun battle and are battling each other. Bang, 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 bang. And in the middle, all of their guns get empty, but they're still shooting. Click, 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 click. They're still shooting. Click, 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 click. And then show up the deer head and the fish head, and they all look at each other. And then the main character, the cowboy, looks at the fish head and goes, I think you're my mom. End of the movie. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
Oh my, I would watch that movie and it would probably be my favorite movie. It sounds pretty good, right? That's my favorite movie. Yeah, that's how you adapt The Dark Tower. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, Meanwhile, Mr. Bay, let me set the scene for you. (laughs) 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 Nuclear blast. All of the planet is wiped out. 10,000 years later, flashes across the screen in like bold, bold type just so everybody can read it. And then we cut to Megan Fox's body with an actual fox's head, and she's washing a car. But she doesn't quite know what a car is. It's just like a leftover artifact from our time, 10,000 years later. And the main character, a cowboy, comes up to her and is like, can I take that off your hands for you? And she's like, ow. Wait, I forgot she's a fox. What does the fox say? What does the fox say? Um, and then, and then, as they're talking and as they're making this like really gross, flirtatious conversation, inciting incident. It's a shootout at the local saloon, and the cowboy has to go and save everybody, but also he has to kill everybody, and their heads explode like, bah! and then their like, legs explode like, bah! and then like the whole bar explodes like, bah! and he walks away, but he's not looking at it. He's just like slowly in slow motion walking away while it's blowing up in real time. Uh, and then he forms a fellowship with um, Shia LaBeouf, but with a dog's head, Megan Fox, but with an actual fox's head, and a vampire, um, but the vampire is also Megan Fox. And they just, like, walk slowly through the landscape, sort of like that scene in Taylor Swift's Bad Blood, where, like, everything's blowing up behind them, but they're walking really slow and sexy-like. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. And then they go through a portal, and it's like, blah, 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 blah. And uh, that's the end. Sequel bait. Totally ripe for a sequel. I'm not going to lie. I would probably watch that movie. Yeah, it would make a good music video, too. It really would. Um, well, that is the end of the Boomerangarang. I'm very happy yeah. with this Boomerangarang. That was a lot of fun. Make sure you go on Twitter, at The Midnight Myth, and vote after this episode comes out. Uh, make sure you always vote for the things that I advocated for, because... You definitely don't want the win to go to Derek for any reason. Listen, hashtag real talk. We're both really big gamers, Laurel and I. And we find that there is value in learning and studying and gamifying things. And so we love these boomerangarangs. Till next time, gang, be kind. Be kind. Be kind.